Hi, everyone. This is Sam Stern, joined, as always, by Jenny Wise. Hi, Jenny. Hi, everyone. We have in studio with us our colleague, Judy Weider, Principal Advisor from our Customer Experience Council, which is a peer network of CX execs, Judy Weider. Hi, Judy. Hi. Good to be here. She's been with us before. We've talked to her about her past experience as a CX practitioner. And today, Judy, we're going to hope you can answer this question for our listeners. Why does DTC matter for B2B? Aha. So first things first, let's define some terms. So direct-to-consumer is going to be those things where a company is selling their products and services really directly to that individual. So you can think of Casper selling mattresses or Stitch Fix selling you a bag of clothing or a box of clothing, those sorts of things where they're sort of taking out of the traditional channels where normally there would be someone in the middle, someone Mm -hmm. that you would go to or a a physical place that you would go to. This is a disaggregation of the traditional retailer model because we're not even selling through a third-party online store. We're just selling directly to you, consumer. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And and so this is sort of an, an interesting thing for people to wrap their heads around because they don't necessarily think about the concept of DTC or direct-to-consumer. They're just thinking, oh, I want to buy a mattress. What we're finding now is that instead of people thinking, if you're local to the Boston area, for example, oh, I'm going to go to Jordan's and I'm going to go to the Mm -hmm. sleep lab. People aren't necessarily buying mattresses through those conventional means as much. They're not thinking, oh, I need to try out a mattress and lie on it and see if it's the right fit and feel for me. They're willing to purchase a mattress sight unseen from a website and have that mattress brought to them. And it's just a very, very different model. You know, I always think of a mattress store. That's such a unusual way, by the way, to test a bed is with your shoes on and, you know, lying on it for five minutes while people mm-hmm. watch you. But also the buying razor experience at the pharmacy was a disaster because they were locked away because they cost so much because this is how all the companies make money. So you are treated like a criminal every time you want to buy this staple product in your medicine cabinet. And so, again, Dollar Shave Club comes and says, will ship them to you and not treat you like a criminal. The mattress will come directly to your house and you don't have this awkward in-store experience. So Mm -hmm. we're both disrupting industries that had it coming. Razors are still fairly commoditized. Mm -hmm. So now take it one step further and look at, say, Warby Parker, who's selling you actual prescription glasses. That's a very, very different model. They're saying here, you can use our website to figure out what is the right fit and shape for your eyes and what's going to look good on you. And then we're going to send you stuff and you can try it out at home. So that's taking something where you actually normally would think, I need to go in and I need to try this on. I need to be professionally fitted. And it's really a matter of, hey, once I have my script, I can go and fill this anywhere. And I go to whichever site is going to offer me the best possible deal and I buy from them. All right. So we've been talking about consumer products here, razor blades, mattresses. But the point of this conversation was to tell our clients why DTC matters to B2B brands. So tell us, how does this port over? There are people who are disrupting at all different levels. And one of the reasons why I found this so interesting is because I work with a lot of B2B companies. And normally the B2B, the business to business folks will say, ah, that doesn't really apply to us. That's for consumer companies. We're not like that. We're in manufacturing. We're software as a service. We're building routers and hubs and switches, or we're we're building something that doesn't have an analog in the consumer world. And the fact is all of this stuff does because we don't leave ourselves at home when we come into the office. Mm -hmm. We bring those same expectations with us. I have the exact same expectations of how my email is going to operate on my phone, regardless of whether it's my personal email or my work email. 
We have some research that we premiered at the beginning of April at our Consumer Marketing Forum. We were talking about how direct-to-consumer has really disrupted and transformed how people think. They want to engage with mm. businesses. And so three key areas that they've identified as where expectations have changed are around convenience, quality, and trust. And so when we think about what those used to be and what they are now, because we bring ourselves to work, our expectations around convenience, quality, and trust are still going to be there. And so B2B companies need to think about it really on two different levels. So one level is the varying different customers that they have, whether that customer is a purchaser or a decision maker or an administrator or an end user. They're still people mm -hmm. at the end of the day. You're not doing your business with a building. Our mm -hmm. customers are not monolithic. The other thing is you also need to think about that from an employee experience angle, which is what about your employees? And to what extent are you enabling them to be able to work well with you by thinking through their changing notions of convenience, quality, and trust. Mm. And this is sort of the funny thing. So part of what had gotten me going on this was we had a council regional member meeting in New York. And this is where Anjali Lai kind of wowed the audience by talking through all of this stuff in advance of consumer mm. marketing. And as we went through the answers that the various tables had come up with for how they could improve convenience, quality, and trust, as we went back over those examples, each and every one of them was applicable regardless of your business model. This is really business model agnostic. So part of the message here and sort of the banner that I will always wave is that while B2B is more complicated, all the same rules still apply. You mm -hmm. just have to figure out how they're going to apply to you and then do something about it. Yeah. And while we're talking about DTC and all of the examples tend to be B2C examples, we're not just talking about DTC as a business model that's really successful that everyone needs to follow. It's because those brands tapped into a way of working and serving the customer and creating an experience that was successful. Right. right? Like Casper, I didn't want to go try on mattresses. I just wanted the mattress, right? So they made yeah. that happen. Or even Smile Direct, another more complicated example that should be really high touch and in person, right? I just wanted my teeth straight. I don't want to have to go to the ortho dentist every other week. And so those types of tenants, which you explained here, the convenience, quality, and trust, right, are applicable to any type of experience, even without that DTC label. Right. And so it's, it's just important that B2B folks not skip over that because mm -hmm. they get hung up on that word consumer. Is there an example from the materials you've seen or that workshop that you were describing in New York where a, a good example of a B2C D2C, <laughs> like a, uh, a company that's doing this well, that where you saw that really strong applicability to the B2B experience. Uh, on the trust side, we think about trust as being fostered by someone having been there forever. And um, what things have shifted to now is that people are looking for a connection that they can believe in something that shows empathy. And so one of the examples was of a company that was started one of these meal kit things where mm -hmm. uh, the person who had started it was a vegan and he was having difficulty finding any true vegan meals mm -hmm. that were available through box delivery. And he was running into enough issues that he said, you know what, I'm going to start my own company. And so here you have a business for vegans by vegans. That's instant credibility because he's thinking about it for his own use. And so you think about some of these folks and how things have shifted for them and all these people who are starting up these businesses, some of them are, are probably thinking about like, yeah, I want to solve a problem for the greater world. But there are probably also some people who've started these businesses because they identified their own needs and realized mm -hmm. I'm probably not the only one with that. And because they know that they can tap into that, they're trying to see how much lightning they can throw in that bottle. Yeah. 
I think the trust one's really interesting because a lot of time when we talk about trust, it can seem a little soft and fluffy. And especially if you're trying to do something new, building that trust can be difficult. But here, I actually heard talking about trust in a bit of a different way, which is I do trust the brand, but I also trust that the experience and the product and the service is going to deliver what I expect it to, right? So it's less of this inherent trust with the brand as an entity, but rather a trust in the experience delivering what I need. Would you say that's how trust is being used here? What's interesting is that some of these businesses are really brand new. It's not like it's some larger entity that's been around for a while that's starting something right? and saying, this is a side business that we're beginning. These are brand new companies. And so there's some other emotional connection that they're making that's creating that immediate trust. Because otherwise, why on earth would anybody be buying a mattress from a website? It's not that they don't have to deliver on quality. It's only that the convenience and price point, I think, build the trust in the absence of the longstanding relationship, right, that you were talking about, Judy, that these are new brands, but they're coming up with such a different value proposition that you think, I want to trust them because if this works, this is this is real, you know, change to my life in terms of convenience and saving money. Yeah. Yeah, because I find that people are willing to make that trade-off, right? So Casper, maybe it's not the best mattress, but it was just so convenient that that's fine, yeah. right? But there is a certain threshold minimum for all of these three that you have to meet, right? You can't have just convenience but have a really terrible product and then obviously I'm never going to go back. So when you talk to B2B companies... And you sort of show them these three <laughs> components to think about. Yep. Sort of how do they begin to think about applying these? The good news is that everybody that I've talked with about this are able to see that connection. But there is some of that talking through it so that they can make that leap from the direct to consumer mm -hmm. to direct to my customer and then whoever that customer may be. Once we got over that hump, then it was much easier to be able to go through it. So some of the examples of things that people had talked about on the convenience side, making channels work for customers instead of forcing them down the path that's easy for the company, but maybe uncomfortable for that customer. So thinking about how your customers want to interact with you is one. And this um, can even apply to something like billing, right? So oh, not yeah. even a really cool sort of B2C example, but just that. How do they interact with you for the billing or the contract or for whatever it is? Right. It doesn't have to be sexy or exciting. Mm -hmm. One of the things that my, my clients have told me before that they really love is that there are expense apps that when they're expensing all of their business travel, they can just Game snap changer. a picture <laughs> of their receipts mm -hmm. and then... That just goes right on into the expense report. That's right. huge. It doesn't have to be big. You just have to be willing to make an effort. And, you know, for example, on the trust side, the conversation came around to transparency, using less jargon, making sure you're not using company-specific terms. Because ultimately, if your customers don't understand what you're telling them, how can they trust in what you're saying? So, again, that's not something that has to be B2C-specific. B2B companies can do that as well. So thinking about how they're using their language and making sure that it's something that's really appropriate for their customers. Because ultimately, this is still all about relationships. So there's a really fantastic podcast that my buddy TJ Kitt did, uh, or What It Means podcast, called B2B is also B2P. Mm -hmm. So I definitely recommend checking that out. And then in addition to that, there's a really great report that Jim Nail and Anjali Lai did on this topic from the direct-to-consumer side called Changing Expectations Fuel Direct-to-Consumer Disruption. Just because it says consumer doesn't mean it's not for B2B. One final thing thought what's so powerful about the DTC brands is so many of them have looked at an existing experience that's not great and completely reimagined how it could be delivered. The idea of mattresses being shipped would seem absurd on its face. They're huge, they're bulky, they're expensive until you find a way to vacuum seal them in a box that can be put in a UPS truck and then suddenly mm -hmm. it works. Right. 
Warby Parker is thinking, well, they're not going to nail glasses online. Well, what if we send them five pairs? Then you know maybe the hit rate goes up to 90% and this works. And it's those types of creative – and they're not even like wildly innovative. It's just creative solutions to some of the thorny problems in right. the convenience barriers in these existing experiences. I think that's a really nice way to – Innovate, as you said, you know, being able to take pictures on your phone of a receipt and they go right into the expense report. Innovate on something that we've we've done a certain way forever and it feels like there's nothing to innovate there and suddenly you come up with something like that and you have a new business that is has enough money invested in it that they have a Super Bowl ad like Expensify did. So um, I, I think that creativity is something that any B2B company certainly could apply. Yeah, absolutely. And it's all based on customer understanding. If you're not building a base Mm -hmm. of customer understanding, then you won't even realize that these disruptors are going to come for you. And the same could apply, maybe not necessarily immediately in, say, the manufacturing environment where the cost of infrastructure and setup is so huge. But certainly on the software side, you really have to watch out for that because software is a lot easier to scale much, much faster. And this really applies to everybody. So thinking about those disruptors, thinking about how well you understand your customers, and if you realize what those pain points are and where you can make those go away, mm-hmm. and also you know maybe even create a situation where you take yourself out of a position where you could be commoditized. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Great. Well, uh, Judy, thank you for joining us. Listeners, Thanks for having me. We've uh, referenced a few podcasts and reports in here. We have posted links to those in the show notes, so check those out. And we'll talk to you all on next week's CXCast. Bye for now. Thanks to our colleagues, Amanda Chen, for recording and mixing the episode, and Will Wilsey for editing and publishing. And listeners, if you have questions, feedback, comments, or suggestions for new episodes, please email us at cxcast at And remember, your customers' perceptions are your customer experience reality.